Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Oh. You gotta be kidding me. (sighs) (laughs) If they're hearing the sound of my voice, I'm just damn glad. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 321 is recorded live March 2nd, 2017. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we appear to be enjoying winter thunderstorms. Joining us this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I am more than happy to be here again today, <laughs> and hopefully I'll be here for the duration. Hopefully, yeah. He Before the show, which you, nobody probably heard, uh, he, he said if, the, if we heard a a, a loud sound and uh, and it went silent. That it was just him, taken out by the lightning. Well, that in the last two weeks we have had an inordinate amount of difficulty saying um, online for the whole podcast. So I'm hoping for little things today. Yeah, you know, hopefully we can get by that. Uh, also, some. Well, heck, yet- I mean, you, you you sound human today. I mean, it's like <clears throat> you don't have that raspy voice. You almost sound like you're well. <laughs> I do. Uh, my coughing is almost non-existent anymore. I, maybe just one good cough in the morning and I'm done. So I am light years better than where I was a week ago and especially a couple weeks ago. Which is surprising considering how little sleep I have. I think I could add two weeks of sleep together and it's what I would normally have in four days. So let's go ahead and jump right on into the news, I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We have Eric, we have S. Nelson, we have Scuba Tech, uh, have Kevin. Kevin's in, in there. Uh, so thank you all for listening. And the first article up on the docket is we have a Cayman Brock. I think that's Brock. Is that how you say that? B-R-A-C? That's Cayman. how I'd say it. Okay. Cayman Brock diver removes a knife from a shark. A scuba diving instructor was leading a group of tourists in a dive off Cayman Brock when he made a b- bizarre discovery of a shark with a kitchen knife sticking out of its head. Brent Johnson swam down to remove the knife, which appears to have uh, survived the OD. The, uh, well, the, the knife survived, but the shark did as well. The incident sparked a new concern about treatment of sharks, which are protected species in the Cayman Islands. Mr. Johnson, 30, who worked for Reef Divers, says it was an upsetting sight, and he said he had been leading the dive group on Snapper Reef on Monday when he spotted the nurse shark lying in the sand. At first, it looked like it was sleeping 
as most nurse sharks do, but then we know something coming out of its head. I can't say what happened or why it ended up with a knife in the head, but fortunately it came out easy enough. The shark seemed to be doing all right. It was seen again on Wednesday swimming around the same reef. Sharks are protected since 1915 in the Cayman Islands. Mr. Johnson believes the incident shows some fishermen could use a reminder of the rules. It would be great if all public docks and boat launches had signs posting on reminding them the public that it's illegal to take sharks from Cayman waters. In looking at that first picture, either that's a small shark and a large knife, but then looking at some of the subsequent videos, is that uh-huh. the videos with the knife removed? So what we're seeing is that cut in his head? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. Uh, I'm, I mean, wh- how big do you think that shark is? Well, that's what I was trying to determine. That one picture of the knife shows it, it looks like the shark is pretty small, but when you take a look at the other pictorials, it's like, that's a pretty good-sized shark. I don't think I'd be poking sharp objects at them. No, but the only thing I can think of is that maybe a fisherman, um, I don't know. I mean, were they were they pulling a fish on the boat and decided they wanted to fight the shark for it, or did they hook the shark and then we're just going to dispatch him? Uh, I don't know how Cayman Islands are, but there are some parts of the world where people just do not like sharks. They feel like they're competing with them if they're a fisherman. It, it sounds like what you just said. They might have either hooked him or snagged him, brought him in the boat, or and you know tried to stab him, to kill him, and it wasn't dead. Yeah, because that's not your normal. I'm going to go hunting with a knife. Knife. Yeah, it, it, that it looks more like something you'd have in the boat to just cut something. Uh, yeah, not quite a fillet knife, but uh, not one you typically have as a diver or anything like that. That's oh, not no, a dive c- knife. No, certainly not a dive knife. And like you said, either that shark needs to be very small or that knife is very big or, yeah. or maybe a little bit of both. A smallish size, size shark with a bigger sized knife. It would always be interesting to see, uh, what do you think that guy's going to do when I take that sharp pointy object out of his head? Well, right. Well, is he going to be really aggravated, agitated, and pissed off or what? It'll look like it turned out okay for him. Yeah. Would you have taken the knife out of his head? I think I probably, if I could, and if, uh, if I was a diver who's uh, had some sort of skill around sharks, I would. I, being the freshwater diver I am, we don't come across sharks that often, so I uh, <laughs> can't say I've had the, the experience. But if, if it was any other fish, uh, I, I certainly would because it's just a matter of time that before it runs into something or it, it's going to die from it. It's not like, you know, if, if a person has that, you go to the emergency room. And you let them take care of it because, you know, as soon as you pull it out, you don't know what's going to come out with it. So it's a good idea. Well, I'd like to think I would. Uh I'd like to think I would. Yeah. And then we have the Bradford Subaquatic Club is celebrating an increase in female members. Uh, The group's young women have taken to scuba diving like fish to water. An epic challenge to celebrate the club's, the club's 60th anniversary. 16 women and girls got in the activity thanks to This Girl Can campaign. They are teaming with Dive. Uh, they are learning to dive with the Bradford Subaquatic Club and are keen to take part in the anniversary celebration to aid in the Royal Lifeboats Lifeboat Institution. The challenge will see members undertake 60 dive in 60 locations this year. One of the youngest to join was a 13-year-old Jessica Westbury from Wibsey, who went on to gain ocean diver qualification alongside her mom. My mom and I have wanted to learn to dive for a long time after seeing it on TV. It's been really lovely to spend quality time with my mom, and it's been fun to be one of the youngest divers in the club. It's great to start early, and I really want to carry on and gain 
higher qualifications. Jessica's mom, Victoria, added, I'm nearly 38 and scuba diving is on my bucket list for things to do before I'm 40. My other daughter, Olivia, who's 11, has started snorkeling too and wants to learn to dive. Well, that's great. Get get everybody in the family diving. Well, that's amazing to me to see that many females. Yeah. And, you know, in a dive club, I mean, we, it, we'd love to have more ladies than ours. And what is it? This is, what, 60 years this group has been in existence? Yes. Is that what you read out? It's like, yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, that's a fairly well-established club then. Yeah. I'd like to know how many how many people they have and what percentage are, are ladies. Yeah, uh, yeah, they didn't really say. I mean, because right now I think we only have actually two ladies that are really active in our dive club. We have more more members and associate members, but only two that physically get out there and dive with us. Yes, true. I make that three, Debbie. She'd outswim all of us. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I forgot about her for a moment. Yep, yep. Yeah, so well, more power to them. More yes. power to them. Okay, and this next article is uh, out of Canada under the ice military and RCMP divers work together in Arctic dives. Canadian Armed Forces and the RCMP specialists were diving under the Arctic this week as part of the av- annual sovereignty exercise operation, Navulik, and I'm sure I slaughtered that. Well, look, they spell it two different ways, N-U-N-A-L-I-V-U-T, and then down below it's near Resolute Nanavut. Yeah, whatever. That, that, that word I can't, I didn't say right. The divers are working in 12 meters of water off the Arctic coast, Ice is about one and a half meters thick with sheets of ice plunging the surface from the surface to the near the sea floor. Ice formations are amazing. Those big sheets of ice actually formed down underneath the water. You can swim right up underneath them with a shallow clearance, said John Fleming, an RCMP diver from uh, Kelwana, British Columbia. Fleming said the water temperature one degree Celsius is comparable to ice water dives in other parts of the country, but the surface air temperature is the main challenge. You need an army of guys to come in and set this up and be able to dive in these conditions. At below 30 degrees Celsius, skin can freeze in minutes. Plastic cables become brittle. Even special fuel is required to ensure generators keep running. The aim of the exercise with 31 scuba divers from the Canadian Army, Navy, RCMP is to increase collaboration between the units and better understand the equipment needed for high Arctic dives. The seven Army divers participating in specializing in demonstrations Demolition and reconnaissance, 14 Navy divers handle port inspection, underwater engineering, 10 RCMP divers handle security clearance, clearings and recovery of bodies and evidence. It's the first time the RCMP divers participated in any major military operation in the high Arctic. You know what that RMCP is, right? The Royal Canadian Mounted, Poli- Mounted Police. Mounted Police, yes, the guys, you know, with the red jackets. Yep, the Mounties. Uh, let's see, what was that... Uh, I used to be a cartoon. Dudley do right. Did Dudley do right? Yes. And they go on. It's 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 a nice article, and and the photos are interesting. It's a good thing to practice. Uh, you know, as you go into more extreme conditions, it's better to know now than when you really need it. How how would you like that? Uh, the first photo there. How's that for a nice shanty? Absolutely. But you got their first couple of words out of their mouth: an army of assistants. Yes. That's why we always, always say, if you don't want to dive, but you can participate, come out there and be sure of support. We can sure use it. And good example is on the ice diving. Mm-hmm. It is a real chore to set up our even our uh, 
ice shanties we do, dragging it out on the ice manually. I mean, a snowmobile on a trailer would be tremendous, you know, a tremendous asset, not only from hauling it in and out, but as a safety. So if somebody had an issue or medical, you could get them back to shore in a heck of a hurry. So support is very valuable. And yes, I'd love to have that shed. That was beautiful. And then you're using those anti-fatigue mats like you would see in the floor of a kitchen uh, all around the ice opening. Uh, that's an interesting idea. Uh, probably yep, I just, well, again, is that cold? They're probably not going to freeze to the ice because we've been using wood around mm-hmm. the edges lately for the same reason, so you don't stick to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I just like the idea behind this is because, you know, you've used those uh, ice, uh, whether, whether like clampons or, or something you put on your boots. Oh yeah, yeah. I use yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But but when you Ice take cleats. those those off and you're getting to the water and you haven't put your fins on, uh, it can be quite slippery, especially if somebody's just come out of the water and right. you have water on top of the ice. Of course, here they're not going to have the bowing that we typically have, uh, with the ice being one and a half meters thick. That's what about four and a half feet, five feet almost. Yeah, yeah, four and a half, three and a half meters. Well, three meters. Did you say three meters? Uh, one and a half meters. Oh yeah, that's well. You figure four and a half feet. Yeah, I am surprised though they don't have a platform. Now, if we had ice like that, our platform would be great to have. Yeah. Well, I would also think you'd want to have maybe a ladder. Of course, the the yeah, water level the water level here has come right up to the hole, uh, yeah. so you're not dropping down too far. Uh, a moon and, pool. Yeah, I, I I like it. It's 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 kind of nice. Well, if they if anybody out there has anything to do with the RMCP and would like to bring some people in for their next adventure, uh. Darren and I would be more than happy to participate. Oh, certainly. And I'm sure Kevin would too. Yeah. So give us a call. Yeah, we need, need to get out and do more of that. We just did not have much of the winter for it. We were talking about this weekend. Well, you know, it's funny about that too is up in Wisconsin, they had some nice ice. And uh, as much as I like to dive in the ice, that's a long trip. But, yes. you know, a special occasion, I think I would. Yeah. Yeah. Make it worth our while. We'll come up. I mean,. You know, maybe a little food, a little diving, and you can't you can't beat that. I'm you know, I'm I'm, I'm hinting strongly here. Uh, Hard Rock International continue electrifying the Mediterranean. Uh, they have plans to open its third European re- resort following the debut of its uh, re- two other resorts, uh, Ibiza and Tenerife. Projected open in 2020, the seafront Hard Rock Hotel will feature 370 rooms, including. 110 suites, including balcony views. The project was part of a new mixed-use development called City Center. Um, let's see. Am I, why, did, why did I call this article? I, I thought they were building reefs here. Oh, well. Never mind. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking. I can't blame the cold this time. I like me some hard rock maybe, cafe. Maybe it's I mean, the medicine <laughs> you're taking? Is it the medicine you're taking for the cold? Yeah, here, here let me... Uh, It'd take a little bit of something. Yeah, I, I guess. I, 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 when I originally, when I go through these before the show, I thought that this was an article where they're talking about the uh, the electrification of the reef, where you can cause coral to grow. And I, yeah, which I, we have talked about before. And that's what I was thinking they were talking about. But they're just talking about a straight old up resort, which is fine. But uh, so here, here, the real story. A documentary film project focuses on Moosehead Lake, Sunken Treasure, Maine's largest lake once bustled with steamboats, ferries, ferrying folks from far away. Now filmmakers diving into stories behind the submerged wrecks. Uh, 
It says, Robbins41 took up scuba diving about three years ago, began venturing deep in the moosehead to answer the question from his childhood. He soon found that there were as many as 11 steamboat wrecks in the lake, and he began filming them with underwater camera and posting videos on YouTube. His exploration caught the attention of Liz McKeel, who also grew up in the lake and executive director of Moosehead Maritime Museum in Greenville. Now the two of them, with help of Moosehead's Historical Society and other divers and a wide range of locals, are beginning to work on a documentary film, an oral history project called Sunken Steamboats of Moosehead Lake. The film will contain footage and histories of sunken steamboats with interviews of locals who grew up in the area, remembering that last steamboats hauling logs across the lake in the 1970s. The filmmakers, Robbins, will be the film's director, McKeel will be executive producer, and hope the documentary will illuminate at the time Moosehead's Lake's history when it was bustling resort area. They hope to do oral history interviews this spring and some underwater photography by summer, but they have launched a fundraising campaign on GoFundMe to raise $12,000 or more they'll need. The project received a $5,000 grant from Warehouser, a forest products company which owns land in the Moosehead region earlier this year. There are no firm distribution plans for the film yet, but Robbins is hopeful that it will reach a wide audience eventually. Moosehead has such a mystique about it, so remote, and its history is so wide and varied. Says Robbins, who now lives in Salem, Massachusetts, and works as a designer of automated telephone systems. Wealthy businessman could take the train from New York, then a steamboat, and spend the weekend with their families, then go back to work. People forget all this went on here. Oh, look at that photo there. Uh, the one on the port side of the hull? Yeah. Or the ones while it was on the surface? Oh, the one while it's on the surface. That's a fairly decent boat. Oh, I'd definitely say that. Priscilla on the now, shipway. Now, when we say, we're, we're talking here, what, Moosehead Lake, that's the largest lake in the state of Maine, right? Yes. Yeah, and there was a resort. And, you know, on the East Coast, which is a little bit different than us in the Midwest and even out West, was that it wasn't uncommon for people to take advantage of the train. Uh, around here, it would have been people uh, going across the lake or uh, going to one of the many in, inland lakes that we've got here. I think a lot of things on this, uh, this lake is rather large. There's over 80 islands in that lake itself. Mm-hmm. And the maximum length of this island or this, uh, lake is 40 miles by 10. Wow. That's a pretty decent that's a, lake. That's a rather large lake. And the average depth is only 55 feet, even though the max depth does go to 246 feet. So pretty much anything that's in that lake, you could get a diver on. I mean, some technical and some yeah. other points, but you could. And when you look when you look at the history of it and how much navigation they had on it for how many years hundreds and not well several hundred years no you know it would be hard to imagine what you might find down there besides these particular boats yeah well that that photo they have of what they believe to be the Priscilla uh, where they're showing the stern it, it's in good condition and they don't there's no zebra mussels on it either yeah I like the uh, shot of her the the boat up on shore mm-hmm. that's that's a nice shot. Yeah, the history of the area is pretty interesting, too. And that lake is, what, 4,400 square miles? That's huge. Yes, yeah. Well, I like to look at, you know, Pawpaw Lake. We do very good, and it's got, in the old days, like 21 different hotels, pavilions, resorts along it. Mm-hmm. They're looking here as, you know, 100 years ago, 1848, just in that one area, they had 20 hotels along the lake. That would be a wonderful place to do a little exploring, metal detecting, excavating. Oh, yeah. You know they're going to have some good bottle hunting along Oh, yeah. And they're saying up until the 1930s, they had over 50 steamboats cruising the waters. 
Huh. Yes, I'd like to dive that place. What's interesting is as is you wonder what changes. Is, is it the cars just change the where people decide to go? Did other areas of the country become more attractive so they stopped going there? Well, the big ones for around here and the local ones was after World War One when cars became more available. People ventured further out than just by train. Around here was uh, the train from Chicago and South Bend. They'd come up here for the shore, especially during the summer. On uh, Kalamazoo, some of the big parks they had there were fabulous. Uh, Woods Lake, the one that had the carnival that we've been looking for artifacts in, that went great. It went downhill after 1921. Soldiers came back, more mobile, had jobs, and they'd go other places for vacation. Probably the same thing here. Yeah. Well, I found the link over to their GoFundMe page where they have uh, 13 people have donated money. So they've got $818 out of their $15,000 goal. And this is be, uh, beyond that grant that they have. And this GoFundMe is kind of interesting. They have one of the items that they're hoping to use this money for is a Panasonic GH5 4K DSLR camera body. And they also need a $700 lens. So but they've got some activity. Well, that picture, oh, yeah, that picture they're showing here of the stern, mm -hmm. the underwater shot. Like yeah. you said, no zebras, no quaggas. If we had something of that quality, we would be out there doing a video presentation on it also. Oh, certainly. This looks very, very nice. Uh, did they say what the depth was? I don't remember them saying on this. But uh, that one photo, oh, that's a twilight wreck. That one looks deep. But this one of the Priscilla, uh, I mean, I'm I'm just guessing by the the lighting that unless unless they got a diver who's lighting it in the distance, you know, it didn't it didn't seem yeah you know, I'm I'm thinking less than seventy feet deep. Now I'm reading this other part here. It says I remember poking around the Aquino in forty foot of water in pitch darkness, seeing the shape of a steamboat and thinking what else is under here. So they've got a number of vessels that look to be. Of such quality, you'd want to be out there videoing them. Yeah. Very nice. And, and you know what happened with these boats is that they, I bet many of them were scuttled. Oh, yeah. They, road they, trip, road trip. Yeah, they, they weren't needed. Just kind of go out in the middle of wherever you're at and bye-bye boat. Well, it's just like those two we've been diving in the river uh, last month. Uh, you know, the, the steamboat mm -hmm. was tied up on the shore, took the you know superstructure off. Why they didn't take the prop, I don't know. And then they sank the uh, tugboat on top, or the fishing trawler, fishing boat. And, again, took the structure on the top, but the hull down. And why? That was the way they got rid of stuff. Out of yeah. sight, out of mind. Just lost the sink. Well, I, you know, having my grandfather, as, as I've mentioned in the show before, uh, owned a marina. And what they would do is they would, you know, because you had your prime dock space. Everybody wanted the dock space closest to their car. And then as you went out, it got, you know, a little bit more reasonable price. I mean, it was if you had a boat, you nothing was really reasonable. But what happened is uh, commercial boats like tugboats, what they would do is they would actually park those out into the river. Uh, in the case of Saugatuck, it was, it was upstream on the other side of the bridge. And I can remember as a kid going over the bridge there, and you would see these lines of boats. There would be three or four boats. And what they would do is they'd leave them there, and then if they needed a part, they would run out to the boat, pull whatever part off they needed, and they would use it on the other vessel. So they were uh, like floating spare parts, 
and I wouldn't be surprised to see that they might have even used them for floating storage. But but every once in a while, you'd have a storm or something, or they'd they'd lose their integrity and sink, and that's what happens. And I think that's what you why you saw those props on it. They just mm-hmm. they hadn't decided at any particular point in time that we're going to sink this. But then once it sunk, now you've got this object that is you know sitting up you know four or five feet into the air. So maybe they just stripped it at that point. You know, it had already sunk in. Part of it's above the surface. You know, maybe they ripped it up off, or they just parked another boat on it. Yeah, I, I know the boats that uh, were taken apart in Pawpaw, for example, Pawpaw Lake, with the exception of one or two, they basically stripped it best they could on the side and then towed it out and let basically the naked hull, the bottom, sink. Yeah. Because back then, it's like, man, they recycled and they used. And chip mm-hmm. wood, seasoned, that'd be good stuff. Yeah. Well, if you had teak, teak's always, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how old it is. There's a there's a value for that. Plus, when somebody has a boat and they like that silver seasoned teak wood, they don't want fresh teak on it. They want something that matches. So if you can recycle or reuse something they've already had, but that all I know is there's so many so many places I want to dive, and this would be one of them. Well, a group of six divers led by the dive shop Cambodia owner Dennis uh, Funk have discovered what they believe the wreckage of a Japanese merchant ship sunk by U.S. Navy submarine during World War II. The cargo ship is suspected to be a steam-powered Burma Maru and was discovered Tuesday last week over the course of a two-day dive. The find will result in nearly five years' research. Funk said, uh, told the Post yesterday, I got the information logbooks of the submarine that shot the boat. He said, adding that the shipwreck was within one nautical mile of the coordinates logged by the Navy submarine the USS Swordfish. Funk, whose team of divers based in Cambodia and Thailand included Tim Lawrence, Ivan uh, Karadzic, Oliver Zaser, uh, Mako Pazzi, and Leon Weber, said the wreck, which is about 60 miles, nautical miles from Koh Rong Island, presented a daunting technical challenge, diving at the depth of 52 to 67 meters, a team made use of techniques and military-grade technologies they said had not been put to the test before in the kingdom. I never expected to make such a deep dive in Cambodia, said diver uh, Mikhail Pazis, uh, surfaced after a visit to the wreck believed to be a Japanese merchant ship. Well, 150 to 200 foot, depending on where you're at on the boat. Yeah. That's a significant technical dive away from a chamber. I mean, they're way out there. Yeah. Well, then I don't know how many, I mean, I'm sure that parts of Thailand have chambers, but uh, it's something you may want to know about. Just as a side note, mm-hmm. you notice how many Japanese ships always have that maru at the end of it? Yes. What does that mean? I have no idea. But well, I'm I, glad you asked that. Okay. okay <laughs> the literal we'll... meaning of maru, by the way, means circle in Japanese. And it appears that maru originally meant something precious and was used to suffix the name of a person or a dog or a sword or things that meant a lot to someone. And it became common to uh, suffix ship names in the early 20th century because the government enacted a law to suffix ship names with Maru whenever possible in 1990. And the law was repealed in 2001. Now, that's what I understand Maru because I was curious about that and I looked it up. Well, I just did a search. And that's what I, 
and they said Maru is a cat. Maru is a male Scottish saying, old cat in Japan who's become popular on YouTube. Well, I'm, the the word in Japanese means circle, and the aspect about what it meant. And I, then I looked up under Japanese language, and depending on which meaning of it and the way they write it can mean circle. It is a closed circle. May or not be closed at the top or bottom. It also means correct. The opposite of bastu can also mean zero. Uh, and maru seems to be interchangeable philosophically, not the case, whatever that means. And it's also synonymous with karua, K-A-R-U-W-A, a type of Japanese castle wall. Hmm. So I like the other one, something precious. But I'm sure somebody else out there will know the exact meaning and maybe correct us. Well, certainly. Well, they can. If, if you have the correct pronunciation, why don't you record it and send it to us and we'll just play it next time. So this is how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> now, I'll use first names, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Yeah. I'll never get the last names. <laughs> How's this for an element to find? Have you ever, ever found any of this uh, Atlantis alloy? Uh, newly like found to. ingots of Orichi, or Richel, O R I C H A L C U M, Orichel Cum. So they they found some ingots, a cache of bars originally recovered in 2015 from the same shipwreck, making a unique stockpile. The ingots of the ancient metal were purportedly mined at the mythical island of Atlantis have emerged in the seas of Sicily. Underwater, underwater archaeologists are investigating the remains of the ship that sunk 2,600 years ago off Gela in the southern Sicily, recovered 47 lumps of the precious alloy earlier this month, along with a jar or two of Corinthian helmets. Newly formed ingots come in addition to the 39 uh, lumps that were originally recovered in 2015 from the same shipwreck. The ship dates to the early 6th century B.C. It was likely caught in a sudden storm and sank just as it was about to enter port. Indeed, the wreck was found about a 1,000 feet from Gela's coast at a depth of 10 feet. The same area contains two other archaic shipwrecks. The water waters there are a priceless mine of archaeological finds. The 86 ingots found on the seafloor make up a unique stockpile never before discovered in any great quantities. The material has long been considered to be a mysterious metal and is... Its composition origin widely debated. According to Greek mythology, it was invented by Cadmus, a Phoenician founder and the first king of Thebes. Although it is mentioned in several ancient writings going back to Hazad, it was the 4th century B.C. Greek philosopher Plato who made it legendary. In Plato's uh, Critias Dialogue, the Anthean figure Critias claims that the material was mined in the mythical Atlantis was used to cover Poseidon's temple interior walls, column, and floors. It was shiny and was suggested as precious. It was surpassed only by gold. I also esteemed that the temple itself stood a pillar on which Poseidon's laws were inscribed according to the tale. The outermost wall was coated in brass, the second with tin, the third wall, which was the citadel, flashed with the red lightning of the red light of, and let me see if I can say it again, or rich a column. Sometimes these words are just hard to, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it. X-ray fluorescent. Well, Latin take... and Greek. Yep. Okay, Latin and Greek are not my specialties. I barely get by in colloquial English. <laughs> X-ray fluorescence undertaken by Scientific Instruments Company T- 
Q technologies for quality indicated the recovered ingots are an alloy made with 75 to 80% copper, 15 to 20% ink, uh, zinc, and a small percentage of nickel, lead, and iron. The ship that carried them was traveling from Greece to Asia Minor to Gela, a wealthy city with abundance of artisan workers that specialized production of prized artifacts. So it sounds like we could actually make this today. If that's all it is, it's an alloy. Well, it's interesting. I was look. I went, took the uh, time to take a look at Wikipedia for a minute, and uh, they're saying it's mentioned in ancient writings, including the story of Atlantis, all the way back to 403, 460, 403 BC. Said it like you mentioned earlier had been considered only or second only to gold in value, has been found and mined in many parts of. Atlantis in ancient times. It has some pictorials here of some coins made of that, which is interesting. Um, quite interesting for being that old, too. They were talking about uh, it was used in some armor. And again, you're talking, what, how many years ago would that be? Yeah. Almost 2,000? Yeah. Well, well, think about what you can do to an economy. Because copper, I don't know how how common copper or zinc was back then. I mean, you know, if you had those two materials and you knew how to make this, you're you're creating something that's got a lot of value and that can really keep an economy going if it's if it's yeah. prized that that well. That'd be cool. You just wonder those ingots they they found almost look like long, weird looking uh, cigars, mm-hmm. and you wonder if that's just the state they they poured the met, the metal in prior to re melting it down or something. Yeah, it was probably for for transportation. You just a a convenient way of moving it around. So they, uh, not being a metallurgist by any means, I don't know how tough it would be to make that sort of alloy. But and I was curious if it had, you know, lead and iron in it. Could you pick that up with a metal detector? You're not going to pick up the copper and the zinc, but if there's enough lead and iron, I'd be back out there with a metal detector. Yeah, I, I don't know that if it was just trace amounts or if it was uh, something measurable. Well, how about this one? A scuba diver finds a 200-year-old bottle in the bottom of River Servan. Historian scuba diver got surprised when he found a 200-year-old bottle. Uh, it's a lemonade bottle five meters deep in the river. Uh, Graham Payne, 69, of Birch Hill, Walsall, discovered the rare bottle uh, at the bottom of the river between the English and Welsh Bridge in Shrewsbury. Uh Investigation of the history of bottle let him discover that it was made in the town. He believes it'd be some financial value to a collector, but plans to keep it for himself. He says it's really one of a kind and crafted, made long before they started to make bottles with flat bottoms. I saw it at the bottom of the river servant and had to bring it back up with me for a better look. Who knows how it got there? So this is a, I mean, would you call that a torpedo? Yeah, that'd be a, a, a actual torpedo, but it's embossed. And as far as 200 years I'm not quite sure about that, it's, it, but it's definitely a corker. Well, they you see them. how the embossed is on it? Yeah, because that, that seems not more sure like late 1800s, wouldn't it be? I would say, yeah, at least maybe 1850s in that area. Yeah. But I sure would like that bottle, though. It looks nice. And look at the embossing on it. Yeah, it's got a good emboss on it. It's got that green color that you get from those bottles. I've got a bottle that's uh, similar in color. Probably a little bit newer than that one, mm-hmm. but very cool. Now, now, this is in the U.K., right? Yes. Yep. Uh, was it between Welsh, the, the English and Welsh Bridge? So, uh, so I would be out there looking for that. That's one advantage of being in Europe. 
your history is older than what ours can even think about being. You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. What I just it just makes me excited to think of what you possibly could find out there. I mean, I'd love to dive the Seine, you know, right out of Paris. Mm-hmm. That would be tremendous to there, or go up to Bremerhaven and dive around there. Yeah. yeah. Later nice. on, talks he says it is really unique, even in scuba diving, where you find things all the time. But I've been scuba diving for thirty years now. I found lots of my time, mainly ammunition. But nothing like this. Ammunition. I'm I'm surprised that that's what he's been mainly finding. Well, I they did have should... a lot of warfare in that neighborhood. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I'm thinking we shoot it all up. You won't just leave it in the water. All I know is I'd like to be out there looking around a little bit. That would be both fun. those last two places. I mean, almost every place we've mentioned today, I'd like to go. Yeah, this is, this is a quite a collection. Well, that does it for scuba in the news. So do we have anybody in the chat room that's uh, had anything? I've, I've I've been ignoring Kevin's Kevin's hung around and he's been shepherding them. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, let's. Uh, do you, did you have anything uh, as far as a safety tip you want to talk about this week? Well, not really a safety tip, but it's one of those little items. Yeah, yeah, probably had this little issue yourself. And you've never really asked anybody about it, but you know your buddies have the same problem. It's like, I get in the water and I gotta take a pee. You know, you ever been there? You just get uh, in that water every and time soon as I you go get in diving. there. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, I was, I was looking that up a little bit. Um, the nice thing they also had last week where you did attend also is the, uh, Our World Underwater. And then a lot of the seminars, one particular group I would like to have gone to is a lot of the ones on medical issues. Those are always fun. But aside from that, uh, it's called the Immersion Diuretic. Uh, anyway, it's called the Urge to Urinate. Uh, mm-hmm. This underwater phenomenon can strike, uh, can strike you even if you do not have a weak bladder. As an experienced diver, and you know some people with less than 50 dives are going to experience this, you're going to say, I have an unrelenting dilemma. No matter how many times I avoid, I always end up dive having to desperately go to the bathroom. My stomach will be bloated, and I can't get my tank and went to it off quick enough. I purposely don't drink before dive except two cups of morning coffee, and it seems I should be properly hydrated. I go to the bathroom before I get in the water immediately after the dive. I refuse to urinate in my wetsuit, he said. So how can I control this? I don't have a weak bladder or any of the form of incontinence. And it said the answer to this interesting dilemma is based on an understanding of dive physiology. The phenomenon you described is known as immersion duress and occurs when the body is emerged in water. Immersion, along with the water temperature that is colder than air, causes the narrowing of blood vessels in the extremities. This vascular constriction occurs primarily in the skin and superficial tissues of the body as well as the muscles on the arms and legs. It results in an increased volume of blood sent to the central organs, such as the, you know, the heart, the lungs, and the large blood vessels. And it says the hormone that controls the production of urine by the kidneys is a particular antidiuretic hormone, ADH is what they said. It controls when and how much urine you, your kidneys make. Well, the increased blood volume to the major vessels is interpreted by your body as fluid overload. Well, you got the fluid overload, you get that hormone, uh, it stops, which then allows the kidneys to immediately produce urine to lower the, what you call, centrally circulating blood volume. So the body's automatic response is to prefer to preserve blood volume. So, so once you exit the water, 
circulating blood volume returns in your normal, therefore less, you know, less the fluid taken out to produce urine, and it's quickly replaced in the body as draws its fluid from the rest of the body tissues. But it leaves you with a bladder full of water. So it says, since we are all subject to the same phenomena underwater, this is probably your normal response to immersion. This situation causes problems like urinary tract infection to your doctor. Most people I know it doesn't. If your coffee is caffeinated, you may want to switch to a decaffeinated brand as caffeine is a known diuretic and also interferes with production of the ADH. So having to take a leak when you get in the water is not unusual, and it's going to happen to everybody. I get it before I so, even get in the water. I can, just, and that's that's the downside of the dry suit is it's it just I have that same urge either way, and that makes sense. Yeah. So it's basically coldness and the the pressure of the immersion, not the liquid itself or the coldness of the liquid itself. Yeah. But I think almost everybody's experienced that, and now you know why. Exactly. That's that's, that's some good information. Um, but you, you're you, if you're in a wetsuit, that's like a built-in bathroom, isn't it? Depends. You know, I mean, I don't think anybody who's been out diving a lot has not partake of uh, the wetness of the suit to yeah. distribute the other bodily fluids. I mean, it, in cold water, doesn't feel bad for a few moments. <laughs> but you do not ever want to take that wetsuit without thoroughly renting it and leaving it in the trunk of your car or your back seat of a car oh. in a tub on a hot <laughs> summer day. No. Not ever. It'll vaporize and your car will smell like a... Uh, It'll smell like that outhouse. Construction, yeah, construction site porta potty At porta potty yes. <laughs> now, now, he said, I mean, this guy insisted that he was not going to urinate in his wetsuit. Has anybody ever rigged up a wetsuit with a <clears throat> P-valve? I mean, it seems kind of I, a huge expense. It seemed but, like... Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, especially because you really want it when you're in the water, not when you're out. Yeah. Even though they they do have wetsuits that have the zippers, so you can relieve yourselves on the surface without taking the suit off. I have seen those. Yeah, that wouldn't be. But not very many. Yeah, not very many. Well, now we know. Now, let's see. Did anybody get any diving in this last week? I don't. I'm not aware of hearing anybody going out. Well, that Bob is in I think Hawaii. Every, oh yeah, Bob has been doing great. Have you seen the photos he's been posting? Oh my goodness, he could he could do a calendar. Oh, Those, absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, that's that's a good reason for clear water and colors. And he has got some terrific shots. And uh, I actually I think I'm going to put a couple of those on the club site, so people who are not getting into Bob's Facebook part can see some of the gorgeous shots. And some of the gorgeous animals he's taking pictures of. Just beautiful. Um, now, did he get a new camera? Uh, just yes, he did. Script? Yes. So, uh, I think he did. He got some new lights. Yeah, because I mean, he's always been a good photographer, but he just stepped it up a notch. These are. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see him enter these in a few uh, contests because these, right. these high are, quality shots. And that's the other reason he likes his rebreather. He says he can get to a lot of fish that he normally could not because the bubbles scare fish away. But he's got some good, some uh, good long shots and some good macro shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very nice looking. Well, in the absence of getting in and doing any diving, we did the, about the next best thing, which is hit the dive shows. This last week in Chicago, Illinois, was the 
annual Our World Underwater dive show, and that was at the Stevenson, uh, Donald J. Stevenson Convention Center out there by O'Hare yep. Airport. Yep, by Rosemont. Rosemont. And, uh, well, I'd, I'd like to hear what was your take on the, the dive show this year? I mean, you, you've, you've well, gone a lot more than I have. Uh, it, it was it was fine talking to some of the people. Uh, they indicated they had a lot of a lot more visitation than last year, but the flip side, they had a lot less shows and booths than last year. And some of the ones I really expected to see, I did not see there. So I was a little disappointed in the quantity of dive establishments selling dive gear and paraphernalia, as opposed to um, trips. Trips. Yeah, you you always but, got but, the every resort area known for diving tends to have a table. Well, uh, right, because it's called Our World Underwater Chicago Dive and Travel Expo. Heavy duty on the Travel Expo. Yes. The second part, though, I like is the well. Actually, there's all of it I like. One, you've got the seminars. You've also got the training done by a lot of different agencies, like. Uh, we can have regulator repair or something to have that. Mm-hmm. They'll have uh, maintenance and learning how to do hydros, uh, visual inspections, mag flexing of um, your tanks. So they have presentations for those professionals who are going to use that for their dive shops. Uh, they have a film festival, which is outstanding. Uh, the seminars is what most people, I think, really go for. So, you know, what can I get out of a seminar? And if you look at the different varieties of seminars, there's something for everybody. Yeah, they, they had quite a variety, and I know that I didn't do the seminars this year. I stuck mostly to the floor, but Kevin went, and I I think he did five or six just there on Saturday when we were there. Well, they have them in, in different arenas, so a lot of people go based on what is their forte or their real interest. Uh, they have uh, in-depth workshops on photography, for example, and if you're into photography, that's where you're going to be going. Uh, wreck diving, uh Scuba, accent management, medical. So a lot of the, the different seminars keyed on certain aspects that if you're a doctor or a medic or a paramedic, that's where you might gyrate. If you're a diver looking for shipwrecks, you're going to go for what was currently found, what are some of the techniques they're using, you know, how did they do their research. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's what Kevin was doing. He was taking advantage of that aspect. Yes. But as far as dive shops, I think there was probably four dive shops that i saw that were there uh they had their fundraising auction that they've they've been having for a few years uh we did see jit uh yitka uh from uh shipwreck explorers was there that we had just interviewed a few weeks before so it was nice to actually meet her in person and you have a very nice picture i think of you and her together in her booth yeah yeah uh, we did uh let's see what else we had uh, uh there's whitefish point was there uh, dive uh, cameras. There was a couple camera booths with uh, camera equipment. You had a DUI. You had uh, Dan. Uh, you had, um, uh, I think, Dive Right was there. Were they there this year? I didn't see as many rebreathers as there's been in previous years. Uh, there was some there. Yeah, but they, dive, I guess Dive Right was there, but not as not like they were last year. And you're correct. The, the rebreather quantities, I didn't see, but maybe... One or two different varieties. Yeah, and they and it was like in the past they've been we're here to show off the rebreathers. These are just rebreathers that were there as part of one of the items that somebody sold. It wasn't a, a focus. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, we had Diveheart was there, so we got to t- chat with them for a while. Yes, we did. Uh, doing a lot of uh, of good work and expanding, and uh, I was I was asking them about the uh, their the quest for the world's deepest pool, and they said they're in the beginning stages, and they've got a seven year plan. So it seems like they're taking a reasonable step to it. So we're going to have somebody from Dive Right on probably in the next uh, two to three months. Uh, we lined up quite a few speakers to come on the program, so keep an eye out. We'll have some more guests that uh, are going to be outcomes from that dive show. Um, Try to think if there's anything ex- exceptional. Uh, as we get to the end of this, I, I did have what I consider the most unusual and surprise booth there. Um, I, I noticed you missed your mermaids this year. There wasn't any mermaids this time around. I know it. I, I, I'm not going to say I go just to see if there's any mermaids, but that is a big draw. I love yeah. mermaids. Yes, we did. So maybe next year, if you're if you're a professional mermaid, you may want to, you know, there's an opportunity for you to, to go. There was a, an absence of mermaids. Um, you know, a couple of professional associations. There was a dive club booth. I don't know if you saw that. Chicago area dive clubs. Yes. We went and talked to them a little bit, gave them our card. And um, I think Chicago, looking at what they had displayed, they must have been over 12 dive clubs in that one Chicago area alone. Yeah, I was, and I was said surprised. A couple, of them, a couple of them are hugely active, and then he said a couple of them are not. But uh, he said, come on down and try to dive. And I, I did get a brochure for some of the local wrecks mm-hmm. that we could even trailer, trailer over and take a look at. Yeah. And uh, I think we could do a nice weekend over there, Yeah, well, even if that, we had to go from Michigan City. Yeah, and that one group uh, that was kind of a collection of all the dive clubs, I mean, they, they, they said, hey, you want a deal – We'll give you deals like we do the other clubs. So it's it seems to be they got an inside line on certain types of chartering and travel that they help organize. Yeah, I was looking at the, one of the items. I'm sure this is where uh, Kevin went. Was the shipwreck room? Uh, they started out with diving the Billy Mitchell uh, fleet, 45 ancient shipwrecks found in Greece, uh, discovery of the steamship L.R. Dottie, which we talked about or Kevin talked about, I think, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Uh, lost in seven minutes to tug O. Wilcock. Discovery, the Argo, uh, tons and tons of wrecks, and I'm sure that's where he spent most of his time. There was a dive medicine room, and that's one I was talking about. Uh, non-fatal close calls, you know, lessons learned, you know, learn from somebody else's mistake. Don't make it yeah. yourself. Uh, Delta P and barotrauma, trends in recreational diving injuries and fatalities, uh, prepared diver program. That's what I'm saying. If everybody who has a certain venue or avenue they like to look at, there's probably something there for you. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it was a good value. I think uh, it was $18 to get in the door, and I think it was about 30 if you're going to do the seminars. But to see the collection of that group, that's a, a decent deal. Yep. And if you took your Dan card and or your Nowi card, you got a $5 discount. Man, you can't beat that. Yep. I can only use one card, so. Yeah. But I and did if, get my discount, and it did, yeah. every little bit helps. Yeah. If you're going to stay for the $7 hot dog, you want to make sure you bring some money. Because I was hearing it was $7 for a hot dog, $4.5 for a bottle of water, which welcome to Chicago. Well, I, I think you, you've you got some um, extra little stuff before. Yeah, yeah goes, I had somebody <laughs> smuggled in some contraband and and shared. Mm. So uh, And that was certainly appreciated and consumed <laughs> while I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I did even use their tables. I was sitting down, and uh, after uh, 
You would have thought I walked more. I think I did about six, 7,000 steps in there, and it seemed like more. But the booth people were starting to recognize me about the fourth pass by. <laughs> well, the, the one items that are nice is at least a travel booth do give you something to carry literature in. Yes. And some of those little baggies are very nice. Yeah. And I, I, like, I didn't really look at what I got until I got home and said, damn it. I should have got a couple of these, the canvas ones. Yes. Those are nice. The canvas ones are nice, and then I got one. I was chatting with somebody from the Florida Keys, and they they handed me a bag, and I must have had twenty people stop me asking me where I got that bag because it was a, it was a really nice bag. Is that the one you were talking to? They were um, you go down, you they teach you cave diving and tech diving at the same oh, time. Oh no, that that was different. That was uh, that was a dive group out of Mexico, I think. Were they called extreme yes. divers? Yes, yeah, they, uh, that's they, right. That I got a, a picture sin- of them and. I would seriously, I mean, I was really impressed. The The lady who was in the booth, who's also one of their tech instructors, she really knew her stuff. And it's beautiful. I've been down there, and the, there's a Playa del Carmen Cozumel area, and they're doing the cenotes, which are going to be on the uh, on the mainland side of things, Yucatan Peninsula. And uh, just some beautiful photos and videos. She she, she had that video running, and uh, oh, that, that'd be great. And, and you can do it in a trip. It's a, I think she said about eight days. Yeah depending on your experience and what you've got, if you're going to do the, the whole thing. Or she says it's not uncommon for people to split it up into two trips to get their their uh, cavern and cave certifications. So that's that's not a bad way to do it. No, I, I did stop at one myself, but I was interested in the Arctic exploration. Oh, but yes. what it was is not a voyage, not a trip, not a fun thing. It was an expedition. And depending on which one you went, you're talking 11 to 17 days to the Ant- to the Antarctic. You're including diving, a minimum of one, hopefully two a day. Uh, they said the diving was shallow because they're not going to be, you know, doing, uh, well, if six feet deep in the air, you're going to be diving in the Antarctic. But the pictures of getting the icebergs and the ice flows were great. You had kayak trips with that. You had a, for those who were physically able, you had a mountain trip that was uh, six hours. You went to the top of a mountain. Uh, snowshoes and stuff are included. Uh, on one of them, you spent the night on an iceberg, and the next one, you could spend the night on shore, and they gave you the appropriate gear. But once you stayed there, you couldn't go back until 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, every day, they had uh, photo labs, photo classes, and there was representatives from the um, environments that would put on classes each day. So it was really an expedition. It was a little salty. Uh, because it was a limited number of people from 50 to 112, and the, the accommodations were a little bit spartan compared to what people are used to on cruises. Right. But the experience is going to be, you know, once in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're, this is not the if you want to have somebody who holds your hand and does everything for you and cooks you big buffets and, and stuff like that. But if you want an expedition, then it, it looked really That's nice. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh, it, it was a little bit on the pricey. I looked at it. It was like ten grand, but you know where they were going and how they were going there. It's like, wow. So even even though they didn't have a lot, I wasn't going to go to. That was enjoyable to talk to them. And I, I listened to you talk to the lady from that one from uh, the Mexico place, Mexico. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Yeah, that was beautiful. Oh, how about the shark teeth? That table. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the one uh, off of uh, Florida. Oh. Uh, that Venice Beach, Florida, uh, but they yeah they I were that they, was I got a picture of that also. And the shark teeth the, these are mm-hmm. ones that 
I don't know if I've seen any that big out of the Cooper River, uh, at least not not all in one piece. Uh, and and it, these guys have probably been collecting for a long time to make sure they had a good display for the table. Oh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. They were some beautiful fossils they had pulled off. They had like a look like some, a woolly mammoth tooth. and Yep. Uh, they had, you know, some whale inner ears and they were more whole than what we had seen in the past. Cause I had, we, I've got, you know, a bucket of them, but they're worn down a lot more coming out of the Cooper river yeah. than what they were, they yeah, were these, getting. These were huge. Uh, they're more like the ones that the SAS group gets when they do the offshore diving, but they're in 110 foot of water looking for theirs. And, you know, they have visibility there. Yeah. Yeah. This is a little shallower, uh, but it, it was, it was a nice, Group. So if you if you're going to down to Florida, that's some, that's another option you got is is get in some shark teeth diving or megalodon. One of the other booths that was really good though was the donated booth. Remember, uh, they had donations from all yes. sorts of dive places and dive people. And it's what do you want to pay me? Yeah, and and they were pretty uh, aggressive there. I, I thought he was going to like <clears throat> tackle you as you, you were trying to leave. Well, that, that was a nice Viking. If the feet had been my size, I would have probably 400 for a Viking. Yes. Zippers were good. Seals yes. were good. The feet were too small. Of course, I could have cut those off and put bigger boots on, but uh, yeah, no, that I, was not a bad price. No. And it, and it wasn't, I didn't consider it to be ancient. It was, you know, an older Viking, but not, you know, you, you know I would say in the last, what, 8 to 12 years, not 20 years. Uh, no, it didn't look in bad shape, and uh, they had a lot of gear like that. Yeah. And the, the specials on wetsuits, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're really going to do something, take some money because they make significant discounts. And if you get them towards the end of the day on, you know, Sunday, oh yeah, uh, they don't want to carry that stuff home. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to you get can, it out. You can make, oh, yeah, for cash money, you can do some terrific deals. Oh, and then combine stuff together. And, yeah, they, they were, and, and, I, and from what I understand, that, that all goes to their charities, any of the money they get from that. Right, that did. That particular booth. Yeah. Yeah, and then you had some dive shops who had brought some of their older inventory who were also doing some pretty decent deals. Uh, I think this is the first time I've ever seen a Cuba booth. Uh, in the past, you never heard anything about Cuba, so there was somebody there. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a Cuban Tourist Association or, or, or something, but Cuban diving. So that That's right. You're, you're correct. I, I saw that, and it didn't dawn, but you're right. First time. Yep, first time. So the loosening of the restrictions, and uh, you can do it somewhat legally, I'm guessing. Uh, and then my surprise booth of the weekend was Black Dog. Did you see that booth? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the distillery, a fairly recent distillery, I think uh, less than 16, 18 months in existence, they were there, and they were pouring out some samples. And as a connoisseur of certain types of hard liquor, especially rum. Uh, I tried some and it was very smooth, very well, very well done. So not something I expected to get there and see, but a nice nonetheless. Uh, currently very limited distribution. You got to get it in the Chicago area. There's only about a dozen stores, but uh, it was very nice. And it was well attended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kevin says it's, it's his bedtime, so he's taking off. So thanks, Kevin, for being in the chat room, pasting in the links. We'll catch up with you in two weeks. Just so everybody. Uh, well, see him next week too. Well, this weekend. Ne- oh, you, what, the, what do you got on the weekend? Well, we got the Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival. Ah, that's right. This weekend is the that's Great Saturday. Lakes Shipwreck Festival. I can't make it because I've I got robotics. We're in a push to get things all put away. Then uh, 
Uh, but yeah, you've got that coming up. And then is it the following weekend is Ghost Ships? Yep. And the following is Ghost Ships up in Milwaukee. Yeah, so you got the Ford Seahorses and then you got the Ghost Ships up in Milwaukee. So it's kind of like a one, two, three, and you get them all in. Well, I'm looking forward here. I'm, I'm looking at the schedule right now for the classes. They basically got three rooms for this weekend. That's a, uh, Great Lakes is one of the rooms and the titles. The other one's Dive the World. And the one I go to all the time is technical and educational because I'm a little dense and I need all the education and training I can get, especially mm-hmm. repetitive. But uh, on the technical, they're going to go through nitrox now and then. That'll be quite interesting to listen to. Uh, multiplying muskies, 40 years of sea training, uh, the sea cadets. Don't fear the carp. And that's going to be about the uh, silver carp and the invasion from the Mississippi River part mm-hmm. of it. They're going to be won by the Michigan State Police. Uh, me, the Marine Service Team, uh, Submerged Sites in Lake Curran, which is a continuation from last year's, which was quite interesting, and the story of the Detroit River Cannons. So that's where I'm going to be. Yep. I think, and Kevin's story to mind is he says that the Mysteries and Histories is on the 25th, so that must be the MSRA show out of Holland. And then we've got uh, Craig Rich from MSRA, as we're mentioning, is going to be on the show the 16th. So that should be the next time we record. We'll have Craig Rich on as a guest, uh, the author, the shipwreck hunter. And he's been on the show once before. So you can look through our show notes and see which episode that was. But uh, we'll hear what Does that mean got. we're not doing one? Are we doing one next week? I don't. Th- I'm. We won't be recording live, or at least I won't. I mean, if you and Kevin want to want to brave it, uh, you can. Uh, we we had talked about doing some getting things, but just uh, fighting through all the technical challenges we we we've been doing, uh, maybe not. Uh, but uh, we'll be back after that next. Uh, take next week off, and then we'll be back. And many of you may not even see a gap because I'm been running about a week behind on editing the shows, uh, so it may just slip right in and you just get one right after the other. So you're not missing anything at all. And to give everybody kind of an idea about what we're doing technically is uh, we're, we're playing around with, with the bandwidth uh, Verizon has done unlimited and uh, there's some options there. And then uh, that's changed things a little bit uh, by them not charging you for bandwidth. It's making things a little bit easier. I also have a new host that I've been uploading files to. So we'll be moving off of the, uh, talk to you most likely and uh, then we'll be doing some sort of streaming so maybe that's something i'll also be able to get some more time in this next week but uh tested the new service uh it's been so far so good uh but i want to load them up so i'm going to load the whole back issues into it and then we'll get that going um they're and they're fairly reasonably priced uh, and then our website all the Scoob Obsessed websites, uh, Scoob Obsessed, the Mug Club website, are now all encrypted. So they're encrypted with certificate SSSL, or SSL, Secure Socket Layer Encryption. Uh, not because it really needs to be, but that's a push that the, has been going on the Internet. And uh, the ISP we moved to in, encrypts everything, and then we did buy a couple certificates. So um, you don't have to worry about your, your passwords going through the Internet freely and people can't see them. Um, I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air again. If you're into hunting, fishing, or the great outdoors, WRVO Radio seems to have some sort of program you're going to be interested in. Um, so head on over to the Scuba Obsessed website, go down the footer, and you'll have links over to WRVO Radio, and I can tell you how to listen. Um, 
we we love uh, people to give us the five star reviews on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed. And if you think this show is at least worth a dollar, why not donate to our Patreon account? Uh, slowly getting more and more people, which helps us to do things and make some improvements with the show. Um, and then I'm going to do a, po- uh, a uh, poll here pretty soon. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do that. I did do some cleaning up the Patreon site, so you'll see that's a little bit more organized. And we're going to do some video uh, editing coming up here pretty soon. Let's see. Is there anything else that we want to cover? Oh, we most certainly have to thank all our Patreon supporters as we as we're asking for people to donate. Uh, have to do a shout out to Vanessa Homiak. Thank you very much. And uh, let me think. I think she she gave us an update. Uh, it was too late for last week, but there was one that she sent me on Facebook. Let me see if I can find it. I'll let you look for that for a second, and I'll also add in that uh, Michigan Underdiver, Underwater Divers Club website uh, is now current again. We had a little lax in keeping it current, but we're back up to February, so if anybody's interested in seeing what the club has been doing and what its members have been doing, you can always check with that. That is now current. And you can also see our uh, newsletters at the same time. That's all currently posted. And pretty soon, when we start getting in the river, we'll be posting the treasures for 2017. Excellent. Treasures. What, what, what kind of treasures have you been finding? Well, for 2017, the only person who's been dragging stuff up is uh, Mr. Kevin Ailes. And since he's normally the wreck diver, not the grubber, uh, pretty outstanding. He's got, uh, the, I've only got one bottle posted for him, and that was that really nice uh, creamery bottle from Water of Elite that he found by the wreck in the river. And then the following, well, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, last week, when he dove it, he's the only one who brought other glass items up on the boat also. So uh, there is things to be found besides shipwreckage. And, you know, last year's is still on there under 2016, but we'll start a new one for this year, new site. Oh, well, here's here's one uh, a request we had. Now, I, I did mention to Jim, but Jim was planning on being on tonight but isn't was a little bit under the weather so we may have them on in a couple of weeks or or so but there's some requests for some more dive hacks so we've let him know and next time he's on i'm sure he'll have something to share with us oh i do know the other item uh we'll have to post a picture of somebody i saw there at the uh at the uh, our world underwater with a really interesting black t-shirt i'll have to get that posted on the club site oh, okay he had a big thing, something like scuba obsessed on his broad back shoulders there. <laughs> but it was really interesting to see some, some guys flying the colors for both the club, mud club and for scuba obsessed there at Our World Underwater. And, of course, thanks to Kevin for procuring oh. such items. Oh, oh uh, and here's something I, I've, I keep forgetting to mention, but uh, uh, Vanessa Homiak was thinking about coming in for ghost ships. And was wondering if she came in for ghost ships, is there any chance of getting a dive in? So I'm I'm thinking that could be a possibility. Would that be not this weekend, but the following weekend? So how would yeah, that I, work? I, I saw something on Facebook, too. Somebody was talking about there's a special program on Friday nights uh, on uh, the singing of the Fitzgerald. And it's like, what? So and that was a club member who said that. I'm, I'm going to have to dig into that a little bit. Huh. Sounds like they're spending the night there, too. Cool. Yeah, Facebook, sometimes it's hard to find anything. People, I'll, I'll see a comment, because uh, Vanessa had some article that she had shared with me, and now I can't seem to find it. Uh, 
but it was an update on something we talked about. So I'll have to make sure I, I hunt it up for next week. But, you know, we, we appreciate that and all the feedback um, that we get. Um, and also uh, our fan map. That's still there. And every once in a while we get people put their pins in. So if you haven't put your pin in our fan map, go, map, go to the Scoob Obsessed website. I think it's up in the about and the, the fan map. And you can go and put your pin and see who's nearby uh, who also does some diving. So. Our goal is to eventually get one for every country of the world, which may, which may take us at least a few more weeks. Yeah, I just found that, that really, if anybody's interested in doing diving and stuff, getting on the Facebook Mud Club site is the way to go. Uh, one of the posts I just noticed uh, was from Rob, who dove with us uh, a week or so ago on the river dive, the wreck dive. It says, leaving for ghost ships next Friday around noon from Comstock, stopping on the wave, so... Got two more room for two more in the truck and hotel, so they are obviously going up on Friday for the Friday presentation, and we'll be there for Saturday. Oh, oh, here what it is. Here's what it is. Uh, I, I found it. Uh, Vanessa posted a, and you can get you can find this on the Scuba Obsessed Facebook page. It was uh, follow up to last year's story. The family is finally suing, and what this is is this is a diver who uh, was left. An expert diver went missing on a scuba trip, never been seen again. Her sons are now filing a lawsuit against a dive company. Hetty Chang reports on NBC4 News at 11 on Monday, February 20th, 2017. Yeah, a little bit of music there for everybody to listen to. Laura Silver Valker's son never worried about the mother scuba diving. It brought her peace, Alex said. She was an educator from Tustin and an experienced diver. She was a teacher at Life, the whole place a classroom for her. On December 29th, 2015, she was embarking on nearly her 1,000th dive. That ended up being her last. She was lost at sea. It was a shock, her son Graham Fokker said. When my father told me she was missing, I no longer felt her. She was gone. Laura went on a diving trip with Sun Divers Express, a regular. She sometimes volunteered as a crew member. They brought skies and calm seas as they left the Long Beach headed to Ship Rock. The first dive site, attorney Dave Rose, defending Sun Diver in a civil lawsuit, acknowledges the captain helped. Laurel into the water. She watched her descend 15 to 20 feet. Laurel gave her the thumbs up. It's the last time she was seen alive. The captain's response for everyone who steps on the board, said Jeffrey Salberg, attorneys for Laurel's son. NBC4 obtained Coast Guard document that confirmed Laurel's name is not on the initial passenger roster. It was the very same list used to make sure all divers are out of the water and back on the boat. It wasn't until the boat reached the second dive location that crew noticed Laurel's gear was not on board and she was nowhere to be found. We didn't have it to end this way. Uh, in fact, they're still operating as a travesty. So this gives us a little bit more information than what we knew before was that well, she was a regular diver on there. And I think what it appears to happen is that they their process didn't account for crew because she was almost like an informal crew member by the sounds of it. It's sort of funny you mentioned that. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure where the board was. I was kibitzing on, but I had an interface with one of the individuals who is the procurer of information for the lawyers. She's actually a lawyer, but she can't speak for the lawyers. Right. And she was talking about this aspect, and I took exception to part of what she was saying because I'm familiar with the law she was using that they had violated, which is part of this manifest item. And if you, were, if you read the wording of the law, they did not violate the law. It's going to be a little bit of subjectiveness whenever somebody looks at what they said they did and what they didn't do. 
So it's not cut and dried as the uh, the kids want it to be. It's interesting, though. It'll be interesting to see where it ends up. Yeah, because um, this is this is one that I think could it could go either way when it gets the court. I mean, you're you're not supposed to leave anybody, but you know there's there, there's always those little loops and hooks and things in the law that you didn't anticipate that they're going to be able to find because if they identify as a crew member, it seems like there you know there may be a little bit different responsibility level there than as a guest or a passenger on the boat. Yeah, but someone volunteering on a boat is not the same as a crew member. Okay. You know, crew member gets paid. Mm-hmm. And my understanding, listening to some of the items, that she was not a paid person. And anyway, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. So, tragic event, but hopefully something can be learned from it. Let's see. Do you have anything you want to plug before we get to that time of the show? No, I think we've pretty much done it. Uh, I'm quite sure. Kevin plans on being at uh, both the ghost ships and at the Ann Arbor Shipwreck Festival. I will be there. I intend to be at both of them. So hopefully we'll be showing the colors and hopefully talking to people who want to talk to us. Yeah, hopefully some people who want to talk to us. So Okay. So are you ready? Ever ready. Uh, this is a cruise ship diary. Dear Diary, day one. All packed for the cruise ship. My nicest dresses, swimsuits, shorts. Really, really excited. Our local Red Hat chapter, the late bloomers, decided an all-girls trip. This will be my first one, and I can't wait. Dear Diary, day two, entire day at sea, beautiful, saw whales and dolphins, met the captain today, seems like a very nice man. Dear Diary, day three, had to pool today, did some shuffleboard, hit golf balls on the deck. Captain invited me to join him at his table for dinner, felt honored and had a wonderful time. He is very attractive and attentive. Dear Diary, day four, won $800 in the ship's casino. Captain asked me to have dinner with him. In his cabin, he had a scrumptious meal complete with caviar and champagne. He asked me to stay night, but I declined. Told him it would not be unfaithful to my husband. Dear Diary, Day 5. Pool again today. I got sunburn, went inside to drink at the piano bar, stayed there for the rest of the day. Captain saw me, brought me several large drinks. Really quite charming. Again, asked me to visit his cabin for the night. Again, I declined. He told me if I did not let him have his way with me, he would sink the ship. I was shocked. Dear Diary, uh, Day 6. Today I saved 2,600 lives. Twice. <laughs> yeah. Hope, hopefully some people, she don't want to read her li- diary, will not <laughs> yes. read her diary. Even though she has a heroine. Yes. Uh, thank uh, Rob from uh, Down Under again for keeping us full with some stories, uh, jokes. In fact, there's uh, may- maybe we can do a, there's a couple that he's, uh, that he's given me that are, are a little too risky for the show. So I think on that note, until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.